And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with Bob Davis, Ph.D. Bob, they've put in the psychoactive drugs in the category of the STEs. How come? Well, psychoactive drugs are very similar in, in, in terms of the subjective experience that people have uh, with other triggers of, of, of spiritually transformative experiences or STEs. Um, and it's being studied, again, as a control in a sense to, to better understand what happens to the brain when people describe the so-called transcendent experiences uh, the cosmic consciousness, the interaction with the non-human entities, hyperspace, as DMT is often referred to it as, um, thinking that there may be purely a brain-based explanation for, for these STEs, uh, which you know may or may not be true, and, and that's what people are looking for. The problem is that neuroscientists will... Uh, who are very objective in their field, but are biased. They're going to look at brain-based explanations for these STDs. So psychoactive drugs um, are, are the leading choice in this regard for them, um, uh, thinking that DMT is naturally produced in the brain and that might you know, give rise to near-death experiences and out-of-body experiences where people can't distinguish the external from the internal environment. And that inability results in this um, um, absence of time and space that they report uh, or, or that mystical, uh, unusual experience that is profound in nature, etc. Um, that results from. So there is considerable confusion about, about how you compare the triggers of the uh, STEs as well as looking at, at DMT as an adequate model to possibly explain what is going on in other types of spiritually transformative experiences. But what's very common, George, is that people are profoundly transformed in a positive way following the GMT experiences, uh, under controlled, well-established conditions. I'm not saying everybody go out and take DMT from someone who gives it to you at the, at, at the corner. Please be very, yeah, very be careful. careful there. Yeah. I, I don't advocate for it at all. Um, but I'm talking about experimentally by scientists. They're finding positive results. But at, at the doses they use and at the concentrations and, and quality that they are applying. So let's be careful about that again. It's important for it to get across. And that's true of all psychedelic, psychoactive agents. Um, and and I, I, look, I'll be honest, uh, I, I've experimented with a few, a few times back in the 70s in Central Park. I recall seeing John Lennon twirl a, a white rose in his nose in disguise uh, at the time, <laughs> yeah. which was actually a, you know, a good trip, so to speak. <laughs> uh, but um, I'm tempted now, but have not yet uh, done it, nor no, no, do intend, but certainly curious. Um, nevertheless, um, DMT is, is considered one of these for experimental reasons, um, for the transpersonal effects that it has, similar to the, these others. Uh, and and um, and that's here again, George. Your, your your question is right on because what kinds of triggers are we do we need to compare and look at to begin with? You, know, you mentioned prayer earlier. Do we also include people who who pray and derive tremendous personal benefits from that, which they do, of course. You know, you know, placebo effect or not. 
uh, they're putting faith in, in, in someone else, and it's beautiful if it gives them strength. Of course, it has a very positive psychodynamic uh, outcome on the individual. Let's not deny it's uh, a tremendous value for the individual family, especially at, at, at unique times in, in life, certainly. Um, and also even the healing uh, through touch. Now, there's been mixed results in that, or Reiki, uh, um, yoga, etc. But even the yoga, meditative practices, uh, have often, not often, it's hard, but um, shamans, for instance, uh, try to achieve that state of cosmic consciousness. That, I think, is a kind of, certainly of a, a spiritual transformative experience. Why do you okay. think, Bob, why do you think prayer works? Another one of those STEs. Well, you know, that's a, an excellent question because you have to go to, um, I think, studies studies that show the undeniable evidence that consciousness plays a very practical role in in um, behavior, whether it's simple or complex, whether it involves human to human interaction or human to physical device interaction. You know, communications, what's the saying, George? Communication between the minds is normal, uh, not paranormal. It's natural, not supernatural, right? That That's often used. And, you know, the more you get into the literature on extrasensory perception, telekinesis, especially that done by Dean Braden, another person who, who is going to be in our documentary, you find good that guy. He's a good it's guy more too. common than you think between people, especially between people who know each other very well. Uh, we see telemetric uh, effects between twins in Faraday cages. I don't think we have the time to get into that. But remarkable transformation of information. That, in my mind, that is you know, form of consciousness. It could be at the subatomic level. It could be at the cosmic level. You know, we have a form of consciousness that's just that, information exchange between minds. Uh, and and I think that's the essence of it. Uh, you know, brainwave patterns can be can be modified despite the distance between two twins. This has been proven. Um, in, in my mind, ESP is valid, George. Uh, but you got to get into the literature right. to see it. Meta-analyses have been done, I think, in over 300 studies with over 3,000 participants proving ESP is real. And that's part of prayer. And getting back to your question, that's part. What is that? Your mind can affect what? Another person's body, maybe? Maybe your body is prayer Just tapping into that higher power. What well, you... yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Mental intention. Um, you know, it's it's hard to say, George. If it's uh, you're you're interacting with, uh, I hate to use the term, akashic records or information field, semantic field, as some um, scientists refer to it as uh, another higher power, whatever that may be. Uh, and I certainly don't discount that. Um, who may have a positive outcome on you, or your belief that that other higher power will have a positive impact on you. That belief, you know, you know the scientists will say the placebo effect, and that has a positive outcome about 30 40% of the time. Right? You take a drug, you believe it's going to work. You know, you feel, it's gonna, you feel that it does. Um, and maybe that's part of it. You know, if it is, you know, I don't care. It works. Uh, but the point is, do something. Don't you know? Don't, you know, pray, uh, meditate, do yoga, do something that connects you with your inner self, with your subjectivity, because we see that intention 
um, is is uh, something that is not often cultivated, but yet exists and can be and should probably be evolved more, utilized to our benefit more. At least that's what the evidence seems to be suggesting, uh, and prayer certainly becomes part of that. Um, but again, we have limited experiments to demonstrate it, and thus is it's not uh, you know, widely accepted or proposed by by uh, medicine. You know, you go to a doctor. Um, <clears throat> how many doctors have told you? to meditate to reduce stress none yet meditation right and, and and yet meditation has so many positive outcomes you know we could talk about that well over an hour it's filled in literature that's a show all by itself it's extraordinary the benefits um especially over time yet and studies have shown uh, less than five percent of, of doctors will recommend that as a way to relieve a person's stress yet the vast majority of all of all abnormal symptoms, especially the GI system, is you know psychosomatic in nature, stress induced, or stress enhances the severity. Let alone diet, that's another story. But stress itself enhances the severity of the already existing pathology. So you reduce the stress. You can, you know you may suffer, but not suffer more, or not suffer at all. Because stress does indeed, we, we all understand that gives rise to well, not only mental health problems but physical ailments. You know, the mind and brain are intimately connected, as well as the brain and our gut. You know, to the biodome and all that. But that's another. <laughs> Let's take some calls here for you, Bob. They're lining up. Let's start with Ed in Connecticut. Welcome to the program. Hey, Ed, go ahead. Hello, George. Uh, Hi. It's great to be on. I have a quick story. I listen to your show regularly uh, up until about 2020. And Dr. Bob Davis, I don't know if you remember me, but I called in when you were on in 2019 in February. And last night, no joke, I decided to start listening to the show again, and I pre-programmed everything on my radio to get the AM stations because I'm out on the road. Mm -hmm. And I get in my car this morning, and I pop on coast to coast, and here's Dr. Davis, Here he gentleman is. that really helped me uh, That's back in 2019, hooked me up with Mary Rodwell. So, Mr. Davis, I would like to ask you about synchronicity and if you have had any synchronicities, because I've kind of been on like a little spiritual journey to help myself and others since, you know, 2020 and whatnot, and just learn more and I always have more questions and synchronicities have been a big part of my life. What do you think of synchronicities, Bob? Well the this the simultaneous existence of, of timing and meaning. You know, your your call, you know, tonight you know, it's just that. You know, you got you gotta find the meaning. And these are subtle, complex events that, that occur routinely in all of our lives. But they're, again, they're so subtle and hidden. Uh, and, and we're also not trained, taught to look for them. And yet we should, because they do convey very important information, if, if identified and well understood. Uh, nevertheless, um, um, synchronicity. I had one not, not long ago. My wife was pulling into... Of the port of Costa Rica, and she sends me um, while she's pulling in a video of, of doing something there. I'm looking at Costa Rica, um, 
within five minutes while I'm walking around in, in Punta Gorda, Florida, I notice a license plate on a car that says Costa Rica. I can't remember ever seeing huh. a license plate name, you know, that coming from Costa Rica. And it was titled May, M-A-E. And only two months before that, we had a granddaughter who was named May, M-A-E. Timing and meaning. It's obviously timing. The meaning to me and to my wife was that she was always skeptical of, of the, what I was into, all of this. But now she realizes through that example that there is something to it. And oftentimes it takes a synchronicity that's the found incident of reality. Um, and let's look for it. But you had a synchronicity, and, uh, and, and that's wonderful. And I don't believe in coincidences, Bob. I think everything happens for a reason. What do you think of that? Well, there, 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 are, there are certainly coincidences, you know, that, that, but that, you know, one out of 10, one out of 100, of course, people win the lottery, obviously. You, know, you win a few bucks as a slot machine. You know, that, that, those are, maybe those are kind of coincidences. It's hard to even define what that is, but the, 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 the synchronicity adds that, that combination of, of the, the coincidence, but then there's a meaning. And here again, George, I like the question because oftentimes what we regard as a coincidence, we, we, we slough off. We don't, we, and we forget to apply. Look, we look at, oh, it's just a coincidence. Oh, don't say just that. Look for another layer, maybe, of, of complexity. Is there meaning to that coincidence? You know, either to that unusual circumstance that, that happened that we regard as just chance, I guess, is maybe how one way to just define coincidence. But how, how do you say to the student, a well-documented incident, and to get the gentleman's name, student uh, did a dissertation and wrote, wrote a, 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 but decided at the last minute to not bother the professor and did not write the letter. Two weeks later, he goes to a remote island in, in Southeast Asia, um, books into a hotel, you know, books into a hotel writes his name down on, on the guest pad, and right above where he writes his name is the name of the professor that he didn't write the letter to. You then sees a person come walking down the stairs, and he, he knows what he looks like. He says, are you professor so-and-so? Yeah, who are you? And we begin to chat, and the rest of the story. It happened. Well documented. You know, these things, that's not coincidence, George. <laughs> What's the, you know, timing, of course there's meaning there. How can it not be? Um, you know, what is that all about? Um, yeah, and, and we don't understand it. But there is the, the profound incidence of reality that, that reflects the complexity of our reality that we do not understand, that science doesn't touch, yet millions of people are experiencing it. Millions of people are having spiritual emergencies. The psychological community does not recognize, uh, define, uh, and are capable, really, of dealing with this. Unless you come from a you know, Eastern culture where, where you may be regarded and revered uh, and worshipped because you say you had a near-death experience and, and interacted with the Supreme Being while here, as we know, if you, people are hesitant to mention that to, or seek guidance from a, a psychiatrist because of their extreme anxiety, which many have, of course, following these experiences, 
and are reluctant to do so. And if they do do so, they, they are, can be and have been regarded as having a psychotic disturbance when, in fact, they're not. And you see, because it happens in well-balanced individuals, we, we, I think we all understand that. And that's been documented. And that's the big problem. We do have, in a sense, a pandemic of spiritually transformative experiences. Again, a term I, I, I don't prefer, but I call it emergent you know, phenomena of some type. Um, and and um, the medical psychological community is starting to learn, believe it or not, from uh, people, uh, one of whom may be in our documentary, who, who practices the use of ayahuasca in retreats in Brazil. Uh, and he learned it from shaman. So this plant medicine is being taught to many psychiatrists because they are, they do not know what to do or have little success with the severely, you know, severe psychiatric. And, and they're not trained for this. Uh, well, they, you know, all they could do is kind of dumb them down and suppress their symptoms, but really don't improve their symptoms where they're functional human beings. We're talking about severe cases. They're, you know, look, they're using um, ketamine. It's a psychoactive compound in severe depression with success. Um, cannabis is another story. There's mixed results. We have to be careful with that. And, and again, I'm not advocating by no means any any of this, but. Um, they are being used uh, very selectively, of course, uh, and they are, are very beneficial, as I mentioned earlier, in PTSD, as we know, and uh, other psychological disturbances and addictions. So um, there's, there's much here, and uh, it's been a conflict for me, George, because I come from a, a scientific background, this left hemisphere kind of guy. Were you fighting with yourself, Bob? Huh? Were you fighting yeah. with yourself? Well, indeed, uh, and, and exact, that's exactly where I'm leading to. And then I, uh, I see two armed jobs in Sedona, and then you know, you you, you go there, of course, yep. uh, and at, at the um, Bradshaw Ranch, you know, the, 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 their version of the Skinwalker Ranch, mm -hmm. uh, but they consider it to be a benevolent spirit uh, at the Bradshaw, maybe. Um, yeah, I was, I was there with my wife, two arms up. Then I had a shared death experience. I felt like I was suffocating, lucid dream. Uh, I had a knowingness, my partner in my lab, in the lab that I work in at the college, um, passed away. Later that morning, I found out that she did. So I wrote the book, Life After Death. We're going to take a short break, Bob, and come back and wrap things up with you in just a moment on Coast to Coast AM. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with Bob Davis as we talk about altered states of consciousness. Bob, how did you get involved in this in the first place? Uh, from the last book I wrote, Unseen Forces, the Integration of Science, Reality, and You. Um, do you mean the film, Conscious Connection? Just the, the entire field, the genre. I've always been a closet ufologist growing up in the 60s and 70s. How can you not be you know, during the race to the moon? That's so um, that combined with uh, close encounters and, and and the whole topic of uh, UAPs and, and social media forms uh, further stimulated my my interest. And when I had the when I saw the two orange orbs in Sedona, I uh, had that um, 
Richard Dreyfuss uh, kind of <laughs> impulse in doing the mashed potatoes with a fork of Devil's Tower. You know, maybe not to that extreme, but it, that motivated me to write the first book, UFO Phenomena, as I mentioned earlier. And then the shared death experience led to the Life After Death book. And then when I had a Kundalini awakening, wonderful experience, I wrote The Unseen Forces. And- well, you did a great job with all of that. And Bob's website, bobdavisspeaks.com, Linked up for you at coasttocoastam.com. As he said, this is his third appearance on the program. He's been around for a while for us. Thanks again, Bob. Really appreciate it. And as he was talking about these STEs, UAPs, as they're calling them now, I still call them UFOs. There's one expert named Brad Steiger. Tell me about the story of Epsilon Butes. This is, this is an incredible story that a lot of people might not be aware of of what very well could be an alien object that is circling our moon. You know, I'm I'm so intrigued by that. And uh, you picked up on it. When it first came out, uh, I could not imagine why people weren't going wild about this. But here is a a broadcast, so to speak, and sometimes we theorize that maybe there's like... I don't know what kind of device it'd be, but some type of tape recorder in the mm-hmm. heavens that keeps broadcasting messages. But here, and serious-minded astronomers said, you know, this is coming from a source. It's coming from something that, you know, is circling. It is in an orbit, and it is broadcasting meaningful messages. Now, and then it just disappeared from the stories. And I tried to track it down and get more information, and then I don't like to project thoughts like this, and sometimes uh, we get a little weary of saying, oh, it must be a cover-up. But I could not understand that this could really be anything other than some kind of cover-up with this information, and there must have been more that would be released and that I that we reported in the book. That alien contact, it seems as though someone was, was telling us, you know, we're here and we're, we're available, so to speak, for communication, and then there was nothing else. And this object apparently was parked around our moon about, what, 13,000 years ago? Yeah, yeah, this is what the, the communication claimed, that it had been parked there like it was kind of an overseer. Like it was, that was its mission to say when we were ready enough to receive this Jeez. information. Well, it would still be there in orbit, right? Yes, yes. That's what I understand, but I haven't been able to get any more information about it. There was a lot at first, and I tried to track it down at the time, and then it just dried up, and I couldn't get anyone else to answer. But, you know, I'm stubborn. And, uh, you know, Sherry says, yes, I agree with you. We've got to put this in the book. Yeah, Maybe it's a great story. people get excited about it, you know, some some additional statements from someone who should know will will be forced to make these statements and explain what happened. Well, and if, there, if it's still broadcasting something, we should have SETI point its ears that way somewhere. Yes, yes indeed. And I can't believe that... It isn't pointed there, but I can't get any more information. Maybe someone with a higher ranking than than Sherry or myself can, and I'm hoping that people will see this, someone with that kind of influence, and demand that we say, what has happened to Epsilon Buddhist? You must have concluded 
that there are a lot of UFO reports out there, and they're good ones. Something's happening on this planet. Oh, they're, they're... You have to conclude that. Okay, first of all, I know no disagreement from you. It's a great mystery. It is. Some people feel they have the answer. And they're very aloof about that. And they're very supercilious, saying we have the answer. As long as we have been in this research field, we realize that it's a multi-level phenomenon. It's a multi-level, multi-dimensional phenomenon. We don't. We know something is going on. We don't know if it's extraterrestrial, if it's multi-dimensional. We don't know. Though I kind of suspect there might be bases under the sea, there might be bases under Earth to account for some of the ancient legends, but the phenomena has been with us forever, and we feel that it influences every aspect of our existence in ways that we haven't even begun to dream of yet. We feel that strongly about it, that whatever the phenomena is, and we're not saying they come from Alpha Centauri, we're not saying they come from the hollow earth, we're simply saying consider all of this as a great mystery, a multi-layered mystery, but something is going on. Brad, why do you think at such a young age, you, me, and so many other people became fascinated with stories of UFOs and extraterrestrial life. What happened to us? <laughs> well, I, I think as the eminent philosopher uh, Lady Gaga says, we were just born that way. Maybe so. <laughs> Maybe so. I, I have to bring up one thing. I got excited about Upsilon Buddhist, which is a favorite of mine. People, Some people like to play the name game with research. And I think we cannot overlook that the British astronomer who made the discovery of this robot satellite was named Duncan Lunan. How about that? So again, moon, it's beside the moon. So those, those little things kind of add uh, spice to research. You know, we continue to get these UFO reports and stories all over the place. Yet there are some people who truly believe government's going to disclose. I don't think so, and I've told them that. What do you no, think? I don't either. I don't either. I, I've said that, uh, I think, as long as I've been researching, with, in writing, I should say, which goes back to the 50s and the first book in the 66 about UFOs, I've said then, it, it's not going to. And people say, well, they can't keep a secret. Oh, yeah, they can. I mean, but we have, and talking... Uh, about this not long ago with uh, with Kevin Randall, whom I know is yeah. aware of his fine research, and continually finding people making deathbed. I hate to use the word confession. Testimony. Sure. Deathbed testimony. They just want to get it off their chest. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I can't see why someone has kept it secret all of their lives and then on their deathbed would want to leave that as part of their legacy. So... It seems we're building up to a time of disclosure, but I really am not optimistic about this coming anytime soon. I know our friends in the exopolitical mm -hmm. side of it, uh, they're very enthusiastic, and, and we hear from them regularly and respect all of their research and what they're trying to do. And, you know, they're optimists, and I, you know, I'm 
try to be a cockeyed optimist as much as possible. So I'm hopeful that we will have some sort of great revelation, but I'm just... I'm just not terribly optimistic that it'll happen in our lifetime anyway. Yeah. Unless it's a mistake. A mistake. A mistake or something like that happens. Good one, George. Let's go to the phones. David in Pleasant Hills, California, west of the Rockies. David, go ahead. You're on with Brad Steiger. Hey, George. Hey, Brad. How you doing tonight? Oh, okay, George. Um, good. What was, uh, what was your name? David. I'm David. David. Okay, David. Yeah, how's it going? Um yeah, I had a couple a couple people that I've been kind of researching lately. Uh, I've seen a few YouTube videos. It's all over the internet with uh, stuff like what uh, John Lear has talked about. Um, one of the one of the big ones is Stephen Greer and the uh, that congressional. I think it was a congressional hearing that he was trying to get going mm-hmm. as far as disclosure goes. Um, things like one thing I wanted to say though is we'll, I don't think we'll ever see disclosure because. Um, as far as I know, the uh, the Bilderberg Group is being controlled by the Greys, and as far as that's going on, as far as all that secrecy and these uh, destructive agendas are going on, we're not going to see anything come out of the open. Let's hypothesize about this, Brad. You know, th- this group, the Illuminati, the Bilderbergs, mm-hmm. these people, mm-hmm. you think they're being controlled by ETs? I, I would say not. I think they just don't want us to know because they're afraid they will lose control of us. Yes. No, I, I don't. Um, one stays open, as uh, I certainly have to do, and you certainly have to do, George. Yeah. Stay open to all. And, you know, I'm open to that type of comment, but I think the Bilderbergers, Illuminati, and there's a lot to write about conspiracies. We're just being overwhelmed trying to keep up with that. But uh, again, the caller agrees that there's probably not going to be disclosure um, as far as groups being controlled by ETs or aliens or multidimensionals, whatever. Um, that, that I think the whole field has and can have a certain paranoid aspect to it. And I think we have to be aware of that. I've seen so many friends since I began um, really... Uh, kind of lose it, uh, who were serious researchers, got in a little too deeply, felt that they really had insight into the truth. And then sad to say, many of them suffered um, mental issues. And, and no, uh, that happens. Uh, yeah, I, I won't go on, but uh, it, it's a field... <clears throat> and I told Sherry, before we really got into this strong again, it's like entering a magic theater in one sense. And I said, things are going to happen, because when I was really into it in the 60s and the 70s, things that just beggared normal, sensible descriptions happen. And when we really got into it, those strange, unexplainable, mysterious things happen. And um, you get information uh, from many sources, and then things are... You you just have to watch a very cautious line. There's something about entering this field that that you have to stay balanced. You really have to know yourself. And that's why we maintain that, uh, a time of meditation, a time of prayer, a time of of reading from the, the Holy Scriptures of all faiths. I think you have to have that kind of balance. And 
It's a field we are convinced, and I'll say it again. It's the great mystery that affects all of us oh, it sure is. in you know, so what, many ways. What fascinates me, too, Brad, these stories of submersible UFOs. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They pop out of the ocean. They're witnessed by sailors and people on boats, ships. Truly incredible stuff. Marvelous stuff. And get those stories uh, we receive all the time, you know, from uh, shrimp fishermen and and, uh, other fishermen and and, uh, uh, military men, Navy men and so forth who who write us with their reports. Can, Can you imagine being on a boat? And you see a UFO smash itself out of the water and just take off? Well, we uh, stood on a shore of a lake in Peru and saw that happen at least a dozen times in one night. Yeah. Uh, no explanation Remarkable. what we were really seeing, but we all knew what it looked like we were seeing. Anything going back in or just going out? No, they go out, too. They yeah. would uh, come in. in and out dive, then go out, and uh, almost like they were putting on uh, a, a, a little show for us. Let's go to Clearwater, Florida. Scott, east of the Rockies. Hi, Scott. Go ahead. Hey, good evening. They were putting a show on for you, Brad. Um, they knew that uh, you'd be watching, so they put on a little play. You know, <laughs> okay. All right. You can't figure out what these things are, but I figured it out when I first heard about, you know, the UFOs. Uh, actually... You know, they're supernatural. I don't know why you don't want to actually say they're supernatural. You say they're multidimensional, but you can't really, you kind of stay away from saying they're actually supernatural. I I don't think you've read many of my books, have you? I haven't. I've never read any of your books, Brad. Well, then then you would know that uh, I began speaking of the supernatural aspect back in the 60s, much to the dismay of, of my fellow researchers. And, you know, I still think a lot of people will say they're dimensional, they're demonic. Mm-hmm. I still think they're coming from planetary systems within our our, our, our our galaxy. Well, you cannot deny that as a workable theory, but as we said, it's such a multi-layered theory. And certainly the spiritual or the supernatural people always, that's kind of a knee-jerk word for a lot of people, but I think we understand what we mean when I say that. Uh, that aspect of of another dimension, another world, another supernatural, whatever you define that, because there are so many similarities between UFO phenomena, aliens, and ghosts. The late Brad Steiger missed that guy. For Dan Galanti, Tom Danheiser, Lisa Lyon, Lex Lonehood, Sean LaDesour, Stephanie Smith, Chris Boros, Tim Banal, George Knapp, and Ian Punnett, I'm George Norrie somewhere out there on Coast to Coast AM. We'll see you on our next edition. Until then, be safe, everyone.